everybody. Welcome to the Dust Yourself Off, My Dear podcast, where we talk about resiliency and bouncing back and learning how to use your past mistakes and struggles as the fuel for your greatest comeback. And I've got, I'm so excited. I've got a great guest today. Um, and let me tell you all about her. Her name is Kristen Gerard, and she is a luminary artist, a healing guide, and a speaker through her art and story helps you see the joy, wonder, and beauty of who you are. She specializes in creating higher self portraits, which are amazing, and we're going to talk about later, and astrological portraits as well. Each artwork is, a, is sacred. It's a message, a channel for divine love. She lives with a whole chronic of health um, dragons, which we're going to get dive into here in a minute, that inspired her powerful journey of self-reclamation and taught her the wisdom of self-love. So welcome, Kristen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here. I, the pleasure is all mine. We're going to dive into some really amazing things that I know it's going to help a lot of people. Um, and your, your story is so inspiring. Um, you have conquered mental health and depression and even suicidal thoughts, which I, I've been there myself. I can so relate to your story. Um, mm. and just about not feeling good enough, worthy enough, loved enough, all of that, that stuff. And we'll get into all of that. So take us, I guess, wherever you want to start and tell us a little bit about about your journey to that self-reclamation and self-love and start wherever you want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And feel free to like ask me questions along the way. Um, oh, sure. I'm not shy about that. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I love questions because questions open up our world. Heck yeah. Um, and uh, so for me, like today, I'm a very different person than I was when my journey started. And <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and I, I just, as I share this story for everyone listening, I'm giving you all the biggest, warmest hug you've ever experienced. Don't worry, it's not a sweaty one. It's a really nice hug. <laughs> I love it. Um, and, you know, we we end up going through periods of darkness in our lives and we don't know the reason why we're going through them. And it can cause us to question ourselves, question the world, wonder if maybe we're not supposed to be here at all. Yeah. I've done that. Yeah. It's no fun. Mm -mm. And, and what I'm about to talk about, like it's, I, I'm not saying these things lightly. So I I just want everybody to understand that I I might laugh a little bit, and that's actually a self-defense mechanism for me as I'm telling this story. Um, I learned very young it wasn't smart to cry around a lot of people in my life. So I would uh, do the opposite emotion. I would um, laugh um, when... In theory, I, I probably should be crying. So if you right. hear me giggling, it's not, it's, it's that. Gotcha. Um, so my, my story, I'm going to take you back to my early years because it informs what happened to me later. Yeah. So I was just a wee sprite. I was three years old and I learned that you can't really trust adults particularly my biological father. 
Wow, such a hard lesson at three, but keep going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. So I'll, I'll set the scene. I was sitting on some wood that had been chopped. He was chopping wood. No eye protection was in sight. And I was only about five feet away from where he was chopping the wood. If that, I might've actually been closer, you know, cause you're little and you don't understand the danger you're in. Right. And I remember reading a book. I wasn't really reading it. I was pretending to read, but I remember the joy right before uh, my life changed. So nobody was looking out for me. I'm reading. And then all of a sudden a piece of his ax or actually rather a piece of the wedge from where the ax was working came off and it hit me in my right eye. Wow. And what I remember from that is the shock. I don't, it, strangely enough, I don't remember the pain, but I do remember, um, a sense of panic. I remember the drive. I remember a towel that in my memory is rust orange, but it was actually blood red from me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we didn't live close to a hospital. It was a 40 minute drive to get to the closest hospital. They, the surgeons, I am so grateful for every single surgeon who, who worked on me. Yeah. Um, they worked on me for about 12 hours at this hospital before giving up. They, they, they couldn't do what needed to be done for me. So they airlifted me to a second hospital. And I am grateful for that team as well, because somehow they were able to patch my eye together. Um, and let's just, I, I don't want to get gory, but the injury was so bad that they had my mother picking out false eyes while I was on the operating table. Wow. And the... Like, I remember my little body struggling on that table, and I found out later they had a half dozen people holding me down, a three-year-old. They couldn't get me to stay still. And apparently I was channeling some uh, past life swear words. I knew every swear word in the book. (laughs) Um, Today, I only only have a couple in my arsenal, so I'm kind of curious about what I had been saying. Right. But that, that eye injury, um, I'm, I'm very lucky because it's essentially an invisible injury. However, it, 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 it taught me very young that you're not really safe. Right. And I remember also having to have a level of control that I'm not sure many other little kids develop or even for that matter, adults. Because one of the things I remember is the eye patch over my eye as it was healing. And I remember flies buzzing all around that eye patch because it was summer and flies are flies. Right. And I I really wanted to swat them and I wanted to rip the eye patch off because it was itchy. And I remember my hand going up to do just all of that stuff and being like, nope, you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that. And I remember just spending a couple of days like that being like, you know, you can't do the thing you want to do most. If you can imagine a three-year-old doing that. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but this, this eye injury will show up later. I was able to ride horses, play field hockey, get smacked on the head with field hockey balls 
Um, Sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Fall, you know, I went skiing. I I went on roller coasters. I ran. I did sit-ups. I did all of the normal things with just a sense of gratitude, you know, just so grateful for these surgeons who had worked so hard 24 hours to get my eye to stay together. Yeah. You know, so super cool. Um, when I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Great. Which also affects your eyes too. Can, can affect your eyes, your vision and, and all that and lots of things as well. Yes. So you, so by 10, you're already dealt the hand that, you know, most people wouldn't, wouldn't, um, hope for dream of by any means. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the eyesight thing because that really plays heavily into uh, my story as well. Because I was told from the time I was 10 years old, you're going to go blind, you know, from diabetes. And, you know, That's... it kind of makes you panic anytime your yeah. blood sugar goes over what it's supposed to be. Right. Um, and it actually took a lot for me to be like, it's okay. You know, I, I, things happen with diabetes. You can't control everything. Matter of fact, diabetes teaches you to flow. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I had these two things with my eyesight, you know, these big worries. And I was a kid who, I was a very busy kid. You know, I love to read. I love to learn. I would skip lunch well, actually, I would wolf down lunch as fast as I could. And then I had permission from the teachers because I was so darn studious, if you can imagine this, to just stay in the art studio and draw oh. and paint. <laughs> awesome. Um, I didn't even need a pass. They just always knew where they would find me. And I went to a very small school. Um, so that at the time, the stats for diabetes were one in 500. And I was the one. There were 500 kids in the school. So that really isolated and set me apart. Um, and a lot of, a lot of things. I I felt alone a lot, you know, in school. Mm -hmm. So to keep the story moving forward, uh, as I got older, I had more and more, I I call them dragons. Okay. uh, Chronic health issues because they're a lot like dragons. You know, they, this giant thing that completely changes your life swoops in uninvited, unannounced, just because one day, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's a great analogy. (laughs) Thank you. And um, one of the reasons I like to use dragons for this is because, and a lot of times dragons are also portrayed as wisdom keepers. Mm-hmm. And they have the answer, you know, to a riddle that you can't quite figure out. And maybe the dragon isn't quite as awful as you imagined. Yeah. And they can be teachers. And chronic illnesses are like that as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it took me a long time to get there. I have quite the flock that have been my teachers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I accumulated things like um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, Hashimoto's, diagnosed with ADHD and the biggest worst dragon of all was depression. Oh yeah. 
And with that dragon in particular, you know, I, I kept, I, I didn't even, I didn't even have the words for how I felt. I thought I was just sad. Yeah. I didn't think that depression and me went together. Right. And it was like people, like friends from college who had known me when I would be like happier um, because I love learning. Learning is like my love language. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning and I went to school for arts and that, you know, was great. But friends who would, who saw what happened with me after, particularly the depression got really bad after I graduated from college. They were worried before I even knew that anything was wrong, like over a decade before I knew that something was seriously wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know it, but like, yeah, when you don't have language for like, I'm sad every day. Yeah, when you're living with it, it's just like this cloud that you live with. And people around you recognize it. And they try to tell you and you're like, I, I same thing. I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm just I'm just a sad person. You know? Yeah, or actually, I would cover it up a lot. If you didn't know, if you couldn't see me at home, you would think I was really happy, actually, mm-hmm. or just pleasant. Or actually just really boring because I hardly ever talked. Right. You know, here I am on this podcast talking. Not a lot of people except for those friends at college really got to see that side of me because the more unhappy I am, the more quiet I am. Yeah, I'm so grateful (laughs) for sharing this with us because there's so many people out there that deal with depression and they don't either like you know how to put it into words or know how to lift their head and know that there is a solution. So I'm so grateful for you that you're willing to come on and share the story and later to share some, some tips on, on, you know, how to work through it too. Yeah. And that's, that's important. Um, it, it could be so lonely and isolating, especially when you have like family members or friends or just all, People just telling you, saying, why aren't you happy? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you that you can't, you have all of X going for you. Right. And you're on the inside going, but nothing's going well. Yeah. <laughs> nothing's going right. And there's something I need to be doing and I can't figure out what it is. And I'm getting more and more unhappy. Right. And yet, and still, I didn't have that word depression. And for me, depression didn't look or feel like it does on commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they're trying to sell you some drug or whatever. And it's not right. that medication can't play a really important role. It can. For a lot of people, it's, it, it's really yeah. helpful. But the way things are done on TV, whether it is type 1 diabetes or, um, oh my goodness, even just the way they portray people having birth on TV. Like, that's not reality. Yeah. <laughs> And the same thing goes with depression. And a lot of times I get from people, oh, well, you're an artist. You know, now that I talk about it, they're like, oh, you're an artist. Artist and depression goes together. Oh, gotcha. And for me, like, sometimes I just want to go, no, it really doesn't. Right. Because I don't paint when I'm depressed. Yeah. I don't paint when I'm angry. Like, I, for me, the artwork I do it's a state of, it's like meditation or yoga or um, riding a horse. 
those things are really, really hard to do when you can't put two thoughts together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sorry. And, uh, and if painting is your joy, which I assume that it is, then yeah. you need to be in that um, state of, of, if not joy as close, you know, as close to being there. Right. Um, there's different levels on the emotional scale and um, you know, painting can get you higher on that emotional scale, but I'm sure that if you are in sadness and um, you know, just in a down deep painting is the last thing on your mind at that point. It is my creativity shuts down. Yeah. And when I am well, I'm a very creative person, you know, and I, the, the happier I am, the more ideas I have. And it was, now I can look back. It's interesting to me that no one saw how little I was creating. However, the people that were around me didn't actually know how creative I was. Mm-hmm. And actually didn't really know what I was like happy because I hadn't had many opportunities for that. And that's something I would really like to share with everyone here. A lot of times the environments we're in, like if you notice that you go to a different environment. So for me, it was being away in college where it was really difficult. It was hard. But I experienced joy and creativity and a love of just exploring in a way that was more me than I had ever felt. And the learning environment too, that you were immersed in because you always thrived in a learning environment. So that had to have played a part too, into, you know, that yeah. which would make sense is when it was over, you, it sounds like you lost a, a, like a little bit of your purpose or sense of, okay, what's next. Yeah. Um, what happened and really contributed to that is I was informed that I had no choice but to go home. Um, and home for me has become a really interesting word because home is what we refer to where we, uh, where our roots are, if you will. Yeah. Or feel safe. Safety is, I guess, what kind of what comes up in, in my mind, not now, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know, it took a lot of work and a lot of counseling for me to realize that I often actually didn't feel safe. Gotcha. Um, and one of the big things was that, so there were people in my life who helped me, actually who forced me to go to art school. I wasn't allowed to pursue paleontology, which is like still like a hobby now. Uh-huh. Um, I had was like, okay, fine, I'll go to veterinary school. I love horses. Being at the stable is like amazing. I could be there all day. Give me the 20 stalls to clean. I'm a happy camper. I'll go be a vet. Got yeah. into vet school. Was told absolutely not. And then I was told I, I was in despair. And I looked to my friends. And at that time, my basically my only true friends were books. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at my bestest of friends <laughs> from Dinotopia by James Gurney to Buy the Sword by Mercedes Lackey with illustrated covers by Jody Lee. And I was like, I love stories. Yeah. 
I spend all my free time doing art, even when I'm doing dinosaur stuff and vet stuff. Like I'm looking at, why don't I, why don't I be an illustrator? Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and by that time it was too late to apply for other colleges because I had used all it up applying for vet school. So I ended up last minute going to a, the local college, like the local community college. Yeah. Um, and I did one last ditch effort to go for science. I, I took this biology class that I was really excited about. And that's when that eye injury stuff came up again. Because, okay, yeah. Like, if the eye injury hadn't been so bad and left me with so much scar tissue and so many floaters in my eyes, I would be a scientist today instead of an artist. Okay, gotcha. So I realized I was looking through a microscope and I actually had to, it was a lot of work to see what I was supposed to see because Uh of all that damage. Yeah. And after a semester of doing that, I realized that um, the kind of scientific work that I had wanted to do in combination with realizing how much of a player diabetes was in my life, like, Uh you know, I, I, at that point I'd already had diabetes, uh, eight years and you know you're young so your body's a little more resilient but I was just getting old enough to realize oh this I'm looking at everybody around me and this is making life a little bit more challenging oh yeah it would have been hard to be out in the field like if you were you know let's say that you would have got to dig up dinosaurs right or or whatever it would have been hard to manage your health and be on the go and travel and and all of that, it seems like. Yeah. And, at, you know, at the time, like, I've, I've never, I don't think anyone should be limited because of any of their chronic illnesses or conditions or whatever they have. Like, if you want to do it, do it. Right. Um, but I was starting to realize that for me, not as possible as I wanted it to be. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this art stuff. But meanwhile, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, Oh, diabetes is going to take my eyesight. And, you know, I, and, and doctors can be really cruel. Um, matter of fact, they can be awful. Some doctors are absolutely wonderful, but some really do a number on you. And I unfortunately had a couple of those. Um, and by the way, you can fire your doctor. <laughs> Oh, such great advice, Kristen. Um, a hundred percent agree. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't matter what field they are. I mean, I'm a huge fan of counseling, but you have a counselor that isn't working, go find somebody different. It's yeah, okay. I'm a financial counselor and I tell people like if they're working with, like, for example, they need to work with an attorney for some reason and they don't like them, then that's not their person to work with. We get to choose. Yes. So I love that you brought that up. <laughs> Yeah, it's important. We forget that we get to choose. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I committed to the illustration path. Um, of course, because of the community college I went to, and then the, I, I applied to five, six different art schools, got into all of them. I was only allowed to go to the least expensive one. <laughs> okay. Um, which was fine. I was like, it's in New York city. It's all good. Everything oh, wow. is going to work sounds, out. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. I'm from a really, really small town. 
it was like being in a completely different country. <laughs> yeah, different world for sure. Um, so, you know, I go to college and I'm expecting nothing but wonderfulness. And it, it, it wasn't, you know, I was sick constantly. Oh. Really, I spent, I had to restart. So I had, I had to go, my community college was two years and then I had to restart. So I ended up with a BFA that ended up taking me six years to get because I had to do two year, two different AASs for two years each and then do the BFA part. Um, and I tried to be like, it's okay. I love to learn. It's right. all great. But meanwhile, I had professors who did not, I've always been very upfront about type one diabetes because I've never really had anyone to help me. I've always had to like, if I'm really low, I've had to take care of myself. There hasn't been anybody who could help me or was willing to. Right. Um, like this, this wasn't in college. This was years later, but I was really, really low and I'd been working at a job where I was outside I did, was not wearing the best clothes. I actually didn't know I was low. My blood sugar was fine. I walked into the store. It took 25 feet for my blood sugar to drop from a really good number to half of what your blood sugar should be so your brain can operate. Yeah. And I had just enough witherall to grab a York peppermint patty off the shelves mm-hmm. because those will dissolve in your mouth. Oh, gosh. And... I was like, I'm going to be okay. I can go. I was in there for all things, like just a can of whipped cream. That's it. Yeah. I couldn't make it. I actually had to sit down in the aisle and it was all I could do to get my arm up to my mouth to get that York peppermint patty in my mouth and let it kind of dissolve. And like, I couldn't eat the whole thing at once. I had, I kid you not. I'm on the aisle, in the aisle way, on the floor basically collapsed Uh i was in front of water people including people who worked at the store were grabbing water bottles from all around me and their normal course of shopping practically tripping over my feet nobody asked if i was okay oh my goodness i thought you were gonna say they were bringing you water bottles not that they were tripping over you and ignoring you nope nobody asked me anything and when i was well enough to finish making it to the back of the store get the whipped cream have my york peppermint patty wrapper by now in my hand and went up to pay for both things nobody asked me what had been wrong wow they just thought you ate a piece of candy while you were walking around shopping because you wanted to probably yeah i mean i wasn't a stranger to the store either and that really like that incident it's a summation of every, like, I've had at this point diabetes for over 30 years. So when I say that I have felt alone. Yeah, alone. I, alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, what I gather from that is how could you not feel alone when that happened? Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's not, that's not just one time. Like I've had stuff like that throughout. Um, and I, I'm bringing this stuff up because it really played into the depression. Yeah. no one's going like there is no help for me and I, I got out of art school after having teachers tell me um oh this is a direct quote 
I wish I could forget it, but I, I will never be able to figure it out. You know, you just can't draw, sweetheart. Oh, goodness. And it wasn't just one time that I heard that. I heard that repeatedly. And I've seen your art, and that is that is just simply a lie, but keep going. Um, and, and, and later on, I went to graduate school. I heard it then, too. It was, uh, I have some bitter feelings about college. Yeah. That um, I, and I've actually had to do a lot of work on it because it really contributed to where the story is heading. You know, here I am actively seeking help. I want to be the best artist I can be. And people who didn't even bother to give me 30 seconds of lessons, you know what it's like to pay for college. Oh, yeah. You go and they're not even teaching you. Can I swear? You can swear. They're not teaching you a goddamn blessed thing, these fuckers. Exactly. And you're paying you're paying them to be rude to you, basically. It sounded like. Yeah. And to be uh, to, to be someone, whether they were male or female instructors, to embody all the patriarchal bullshit that is at the heart of what is so wrong with so much of our society and culture and world. Yeah. And with, you know, like diabetes, everything's a struggle. And then graduate school was an extra struggle. Um, and it was an act of defiance for me to go to graduate school. Yeah, was I that had, an art program too for graduate school? Yeah, I have an MFA in illustration. Gotcha. Um, so I, I have gone all of all the way awesome. <laughs> in illustration, as high as you can go. I did it. Um, Showed them, huh? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, it's funny. It, graduate school literally drove me to drink. I never drank alcohol, but graduate school got me interested in red wine. Oh, awesome. <laughs> it's like everybody's having a glass of red wine. I might as well too. I prefer white, but I it's got <laughs> just has to be a sweet a sweeter version of wine, which you probably have to watch. Um, yeah, like a fruity. I, I'm a fruity wine kind of girl, and it, and it can be red or white, but um, but yeah, I I partake here and there too. So yeah, I do. Like I really like like the dark Cabernet Sauvignons mm. with like a really nice dark chocolate. So there's oh, like yeah. no sugar in anything. Okay, gotcha. Doesn't like really do anything to my blood yeah. sugar, but like yep. it tastes amazing. Yeah. Um, but graduate school was like that difficult. Yeah. And it wasn't that I was drinking to escape. It's just I needed something I could do that was fun for 15 minutes before I went back to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yes. You can drink alcohol as a person with type 1 diabetes. You just can't drink much of it, and you never, ever, ever, ever want to get tipsy. Ever. Okay. Good advice. Um, so just like a, a caveat there. Um, so, yeah, just always having to be watchful. Even when I'm talking about diabetes, it's like, I want to make sure that I'm spreading good education. Good information and <laughs> yes. not telling them what not to do. Yep. Yes. Um, encouraging healthy life choices. Awesome. Um, so while uh, right after in between graduate school and undergrad, um, I, I worked as a photography teacher because I that was one of, one of my my community college stuff first was. Mm-hmm. And I, I love photography. It's really, really fun. Um, and I actually found that I loved teaching photography just as much as I love drawing and painting. Excellent. Which was really cool. 
Um, but one of the things I encountered in my students, and I wanted to bring it up because I know that you work with people on money mindset mm-hmm. and, uh, this will probably fit into some of what you do. I had been told when I was going to art school, remember, like it was the thing I was allowed to do when I wasn't allowed to do the veterinary school Things that you wanted to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The more academically rigorous and scientific stuff for smart people. Right. I, and I thought that was just the people in my life that were putting that on me. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it actually took seeing what was happening to my students to see what had happened to me. I had been deemed someone who was not smart enough, good enough, fast enough. Gotcha. I was often called molasses by the people in my lives in a really mean way. Okay. For being so slow. Which, being somebody with ADHD is interesting to me. Because... I'm doing more than most people seem to do unless they also have ADHD because I just can't sit still until I am in that primary focus or I am too sick to do either thing. (laughs) Like I have three modes. (laughs) Yeah. My son is severely ADHD. He was diagnosed um, at four. Mm. And I, if I tell him more than one thing at a time, he, he will stop me. He's 22 and he'll say, mom, you know, I have ADHD. I cannot multitask. And, and I'm proud of him for sticking yeah. up for himself. And, re- you know, because I'm a person that, you know, I'm letting the dog out. I'm grabbing the, the laundry. I'm like doing five things at once. And that's just me. And I assume that everybody can do that. And I'm glad that he's there to, to remind me, you know? Yeah. So, and yeah. that's great that he has that, especially 22s young to have that kind of presence which is you know it is, is great at least to me it took me a long yeah. like I didn't even know I had ADHD until I was well into my yeah. 30s <laughs> well and, and I think that I never like stood up for myself and told people like what I wanted or what I needed until maybe around 35 mm-hmm. and but I've always taught my kids to be strong independent thinkers and um to not be afraid to speak you know, their truth or whatever. And I, I guess I must've done okay in that, in that area. So. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, um, yeah. So what I was seeing in my college students really affected me badly because their parents would come up and talk to me and say, Oh, you know, there, this is the only place for them because art's going to be a really easy career and oh. they, they just can't do anything else. And it wasn't just one parent. It was every semester, yeah. you know, and they would like, cause it was like it's infuriating that people put labels on people or limitations. Yeah. And also just the, like, here they are, like they have, and a lot of times and, and I'm saying this with like love and appreciation for who a lot of my students were. Art was not their primary aptitude. Yeah. It was the place where they were kind of shuffled. And it made me so sad because some of them were absolutely brilliant in other things. Yeah. Like this, I saw some that were brilliant programmers. I saw some that were absolutely fantastic with tech. 
but it's like nobody knew what to do with them. So they're like, eh, just put them in the arts program at the college. It'll be easy. And then they can go get a job just Photoshopping stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I knew what these guys were facing because I had faced it when I had gotten out of art school. And art takes a lot of grit. We're going to get into radiance and, and creativity. Grit later on. Like, I could barely um, draw a stick figure, but. And it's funny to me, Kristen, because I spend my time now, I'm, I, I do talk to people about money. That's one aspect. But I talk to people about what does their soul want to do? Like, you yeah. know, like we'll find a way to create money and I can help them with a plan and a strategy. But I want them to love their life. And does any of it, did any of these teachers, and I'm thinking, because I don't think anybody ever did when I was in school too, ask them, like, what do you what, what does your soul call to do? Yeah. It's so nope. sad to me. So often it doesn't happen and people get forced and pigeonholed into things. Yeah. And then what I found was that the very people who, uh, I, I want to say encouraged, but really the word is made it so that there was only one path I could go. Okay. And now I'm glad art is the right path for me, but it took me a long time to get there. And yeah. this thing that we're leading up to, <laughs> to right. realize that right. I really need to be doing art. Um, but they, it's, and the, the same people who will just shuffle people mm-hmm. into art because it's supposed to be easy. It, it, it is one of the most difficult careers you can do because of the, um, poor artist the starving artist totally mindset starving artist. yeah that's one of the money archetypes actually I'm so glad you brought that up is yeah it is it's like um sometimes people are afraid to charge for their their craft you know yeah and it takes I mean for me it can take a month month and a half two months to do particular art artworks and it it, it really um, like I'm stuttering all of a sudden because it makes me so angry. Yeah. And I, I don't want to laugh because it's not funny with the idea that art isn't worth paying for and it's not worth being paid for where right. it's one of the things that is most human about us, our ability to create mm-hmm. and not that I have anything against uh, lawyers and people on Wall Street and politicians and all the thing, but why are why are artists and our gardeners and our our general landscapers and our just all of our blue collar workers why are we not given the same respect, compassion, and financial security right that other professions are given? You know, yeah. we're, we all play into things. I am so grateful that there are people who pick up garbage. Oh, me too. Like, th- I think they should be the highest paid people. Them and right. plumbers. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's not in, like, that's not in my skill set. Like, I guess I could learn plumbing, but it would not turn out well. Um, I would not have any, like, I wouldn't feel that joy to go to work. I'm glad that there's people that you know this is their calling but definitely is not mine (laughs) yeah like I I am just so grateful so so many of us make the world work by doing the work that we do and um, that's one of the things at the heart of what I do is you matter 
I matter. We all matter together. Yes. And we all contribute to the world. And the more we so love ourselves, the more we can do that. Too. How boring would it be if we all like the same things? Yeah, exactly. Um, so to, so all of this stuff was contributing to some, like the sadness that I didn't know was depression was becoming more and more often suicidal depression. Okay. Gotcha. And part of that was complete burnout from having diabetes. It's, I mean, it's hard. You're literally doing the job of an organ. Yeah. That's complex and has a really big job. I mean, every time you eat something, your pancreas is activated. Anytime you get excited, your pancreas is actually doing some work. Every Mm -hmm. time you get stressed, your pancreas is working. So having that was, was really tough. Then when I was in the middle of graduate school, my eye surgery that I'd had when I was a little kid failed. Oh, no. And, you know, I was completely unprepared. I had no idea that it, it, that it was a possibility it could fail. And what had happened is I had had a sclera buckle put in. And that's basically this round ceramic disc. Do not look it up. If you're Googling it right now, just don't. Okay. (laughs) It's good advice. (laughs) Saving you some gross moments. Um, Anyways, I will try not to be too too gross about this, but it was the scholar buckle had broken, was (gasps) pulling apart my eye, was detaching my retina, which had been detached when I was little. Um, And it was happening really fast. I'm so grateful for the eye doctor I had because he listened to me because I had tried to go see somebody else while he was on vacation and they didn't listen to me, uh-huh. but the pain was getting worse and worse. And my, I was seeing more and more flashes. Um, so I had, I had to really hustle to find an eye surgeon and I encountered one of those awful doctors Uh Like, no way I'm allowing you to touch me because he thought he just laughed at me. Oh, goodness. Um, But the second doctor I saw took me more seriously. And I was like, all right, there isn't anybody else in the area. So I'm going to go with this guy. So I'm in the hospital. I am anesthetized on the operating table. My mother and my husband were both there. I was glad that we had thought, like, we had thought my mother had been there when I was little. So if something had come up, she'd be able to answer it. And, you know, she, yeah. she had wanted to be there, which was great. And I was so glad that she was there because I am unconscious on yeah. the operating table. Yeah, you're having surgery, so they couldn't ask you. <laughs> yeah. The surgeon goes out of the operating room into where my mother and husband were waiting and asked her what the hell happened to me oh goodness because the, the eye surgery the injury had been that bad bad uh-huh and i uh, that surgery woke up so many nightmares for me like after like it's even now um there are certain things that I just can't handle anymore. Like anything coming over my face. So like all the masks we've been having to wear for like COVID for the last yeah. couple of years. Right. I had panic attacks to start off with just having a piece of like 
those early masks before we were able to get surgical masks over my mm-hmm. mouth. Like, yeah, because it just brought up so much. Um, when I was gaining consciousness after the surgery, the doctor, he, he actually said, don't rub your eye too uh, hard. It'll pop. Oh my gosh. And then he said, you don't have a third surgery option. You're done with this one. Your eye is translucent. There's nothing oh left goodness. to it. Wow. And the thing to know about eye injuries is the white part of your eye, that's called uh-huh. sclera, and that's yeah. where my injury is. It doesn't heal. So it's like when you snap like your um, Achilles tendon or your ACL in your knee, and you, it has mm-hmm. to be like surgically stick together, stitched together or like gotcha. repaired with a different part of your body because that doesn't heal. Your okay. eye's the same way. Gotcha. So my eye is Frankenstein stitched together. And the injury happens to be underneath um, one of the muscle groups that moves your eye. And though the first surgery, I, I really didn't have that many side effects. Mm -hmm. The second surgery I did. So that surgery happened, um, nine, nine years ago now. now. Mm -hmm. And I still have pain all the time, unless I take very specific precautions. Mm -hmm. So I have to spend most of my time staring straight ahead. I have to remember to do things like not rolling my eyes. Mm -hmm. My husband loves to tell Chuck Norris jokes. This is a challenge. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Tell him no bad humor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, he's told so many at this point. I've just given in and I enjoy them. But he tells some pretty eye-rolling ones. And I'd be like, don't roll your eye. Right. So when I go into unfamiliar spaces and I have to look around a lot, even grocery shopping is incredibly difficult for me unless I know where everything is and I focus and I like, I look like I'm the most unfriendly person in the store because I don't nod or wave or say hello to anyone. Right. (laughs) Because I just have to be like, all right, I need carrots for my horse. I need cat food. I need chocolate. What else do I need? That's the essentials. Yeah. (laughs) Chocolate's usually on my list as well. Um, yeah. Eggs, because my son eats like five of them a day. So we go, we go, we literally go through a carton of eggs every other day, if sometimes more. So eggs oh, and wow. chocolate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like you get your essentials and I, I have to do that. And I, I can't even look around for things that are different. And then driving, it, I, have the least pain driving when I am on roads that I know really well. But if I have to go somewhere different and I have to look at road signs and be looking at all different kinds of things, um, aside from just paying attention to what's on the road in front of me. Yeah. Incredibly painful. I end up usually having to take time off from doing art because it hurts so much to have to drive places. Gotcha. Crying irritates the injury. Um, all kinds of stuff. Talking to two people at once. I am so grateful for Zoom because I can talk to a room full of people oh, and yeah. I have one place I can look. Awesome. <laughs> Zoom is a gift. <laughs> I know we're all kind of like uh, Zoom girls, but no, seriously, for me, they're a gift. I, I'm so grateful for things like Zoom and Crowdcast. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, so after that surgery, I 
So my retina could reattach. I had an entire summer where I had to keep my head straight ahead and tip slightly to the side so that the retina could slowly attach itself Uh um, and heal because your retinas can heal a little bit unlike the outside of your eye the sclera Um, but you have to be really really careful Um, for the rest of my life I can't run I'm not allowed to do setups I have to be really careful if I'm lifting anything heavy and just in general I should not Uh Um, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you're taking like groceries yeah you know like uh, so basically three months early on couldn't do anything i i discovered a love of watching reruns of ncis because i couldn't even change the channel if i if the remote was somewhere else because i had to be so still gotcha um and i'm just i'm going through this you kind of know how scary it was like I had been a right side sleeper. All of a sudden I have to sleep on the left side and I never for the rest of my life can be a right side sleeper again. Imagine having to change your sleeping position. Change everything basically. Yeah. And like the eye's really delicate. It's, it's fragile. And things that I used to be able to do um, and not think about it anymore. It's so many, it's actually even hard to describe mm-hmm. how the impact it had on changing my life but on those that three months you know i'm in the middle of graduate school my homework still do um and uh you know life doesn't stop i still had my teaching job and i tried to teach for a year after and i i couldn't i could no longer look through a camera lens without Like, because of my, it, my right eye is my dominant eye and I tried switching to left. I just couldn't do it. So like this thing that I really loved was taken away from me. I couldn't work with lights. It was so difficult talking to students. Yeah. Not because they weren't still wonderful people, but you know, like it, it's hard to get people in a classroom to understand. I can only look at one of you at once and I'm yeah. not being rude. Right. You can't look around the room and. And like I used to teach lighting, so it was a lot of lifting of equipment, um, all kinds of things that I I really shouldn't, for my health, can't do anymore. Um, I was told I would have to stop skiing and horseback riding because I was too delicate for a fall. Mm -hmm. It literally took falling right outside of my, my home for me to be like on ice. I like, you know, I can fall anytime I lose my eyes. I, I, I'm going to continue to be around horses and I will ski cautiously. Uh-huh. Um, my husband looks out for me. Um, but I, I had a lot of time to wonder, you know, they're sitting there that first three months, like, what do I do if I lose my eyesight? Who am I if I can't be an artist? Do I even want to, do I even want to continue at grad, continue graduate school? Do what happens if I go blind? You know, right. if I if I lose the, this one eye that's so delicate, and I I'm, I'm losing my eyesight anyways to diabetes, what is left? Right. And I I really had to. I did some serious thinking because you can only watch so many NCIS reruns. I love NCIS. Yeah. You can only watch so many of them, and then the brain just was like, I don't care. 
We're going to think through all of these things. Um, one of the things that helped me through that time was to think about what is the worst case scenario? Okay. So if I go blind, what happens? If I lose the eye, you know, my husband would be like, you get a Captain America shield eye patch. Oh, goodness. Thank you. Uh Thank you. That'll be great. (laughs) (laughs) Who would want an eyeball when you can wear an eye patch? Right. (laughs) Um, So... So what I I did was I played through all the worst case scenarios and then I said, okay, what can I do now? What can I still do? And I didn't know it at the time, but this was beginning to build a muscle for me that would later help save my life. So I'm going through this time and I ended up finishing graduate school, but the depression just kept getting worse and worse. And the suicidal thoughts kept getting more and more frequent because between the diabetes and the limitations, the eye injury, and then like, that's just the highlights. (laughs) There's just so many other things that were happening. I mean, like the sky was dark with dragons, basically. Um, I, I was really, really struggling to want to live at all. I went to this, it was a party. It was a beautiful fall day. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, I live in upstate New York, so the leaves are turning colors. The air was crisp and wonderful, but it was really warm. So it was still like really nice to wear a dress. I got dressed up, which was a big deal for me. I hardly ever get dressed up. Um, I was ready to have fun and be joyful. I. I wanted a break, you know, and I I couldn't go on vacation, but like, I wanted a day off to just be a human and experience happiness. That's all I was looking for. Just, just a day of that. And I didn't get it. I had taken a selfie right before things got really bad. Uh, And I rarely took selfies at that point. I mean, now you go to my Instagram feed and like I'm selfie everywhere. You go to my blog, it's pictures of me um, and probably my horse and cat and almost always an artwork. Yeah. But at the time, I now I take selfies as an act of an affirmation of self-love and self-acceptance. And um and, and I do them real. I don't put on makeup. I don't do filters. I don't do anything. You know, I've got crazy hair. It's all good. Yeah. I got covering there. You weren't where you are now at this point at this um, yeah. get together. This. Yeah. It, um, yeah. This, this, this event. Yeah. This was a, a low, a super, super low. So it was a big deal for me to take that selfie. So I get there, you know, I could take a selfie and just a few moments after that, a fight broke out. Um, not like a big brawling kind of fight, but definite disagreement that was causing ripples to go out through the party. I can be pretty diplomatic. So I was asked to go settle things down. Mm-hmm. And I tried my best. It wasn't working because the parties were pretty riled up, but I did try. Someone else came up and she was awful. She basically 
said, I can't remember exact words, but the gist of it was, you are not wanted. Go away. You're not even wanted at this party. You're not worthy of being here. Go away. I can handle this so much better because I'm so much more important than you. That was the general gist of what she said. Mm -hmm. And then the parties that I had been trying to calm and soothe had been like attacking me while I was like trying to be kind. Yeah. And I walked away from that encounter. I I was so struggling with self-worth. I felt, yeah. I was like, why am I here? And like, not just here at the party. Right. Why am I here on this planet? Why am I bothering? Why am I fighting so hard every day to live? With all of this stuff going on, nothing's going right. The world would be better off without me. My husband would be better off without me. His life would go so much better without somebody like me who's got diabetes and a stupid eye injury and all of this ick. You know, like it, it somehow, it felt wrong for me to keep living. Yeah, I've been there. It's like, you just think that, yeah, what this world doesn't need me what am I what am I making better about it I that's that's where I was and like nobody would miss me or people would just it would just you know keep on you know living and going on and and you know it'd be all it would be all good and the pain would go away because I don't know about you but just the pain of depression you know yeah and like uh, so much pain and it is if you haven't had dis- depression, it is hard to describe the sheer mm-hmm. amount of pain you're in because it's it's not physical, but it actually feels physical. Yeah. yeah, in your chest, in your heart, in your in my stomach too. I was always a stomach worrier. So in that yeah. whole kind of torso from my chest down, it was just this like weight. That's how I can describe it. A weight on you, like an elephant sitting on you. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's awful. Like it was agony really. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, just so much pain and, and I had also had been thinking, you know, I, things were so dark for me. I was like, my husband is probably the only person who will mourn me and he will get over it and go on to love a better life. Right. I totally resonate with what you're saying. Cause I remember being there. Yep. Yeah, and it, it's a horrible feeling, and no one should ever feel like you and I and anyone else out there who felt like this. No one deserves to feel like this. Right. So I was trying not to cry and ruin my makeup. I failed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, am an, I am an ugly crier. Um, I, every, and my, I can make non-running mascara run, so I don't even bother ever wearing mascara anymore. Yeah. So I, I ended up finding myself on a dock. Very end of the dock. The water was beautiful. The sunlight's glistening on it. And, you know, just making all these beautiful little stars. And it's amazing how you can be that dark and upset and have so little life force. And yet you could be like, yeah, the stars on the water that the sunlight is making, those are really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh, yeah, I was standing there at the end, the end of that dock, trying to figure out how to get myself to drown. 
if I could have willed myself to die, I, I would not be here today. And I w- kept looking at that water. I kept trying to force my body to go into it and bring myself to just jump in or slide in because I didn't want anybody to hear me. Slide in and drown. And uh, I, I couldn't. Like, my, I just couldn't get my body to do it. And, and right, you know, plus it's, you can swim anyways, right? Yeah, like, I can swim. The water was only three feet deep. I'm over five foot tall. Um, and, you know, and I, it, it's moments like that, like, it struck me how my body was telling me something very important. But it hadn't reached my mind yet. So I'm there and my body's trying to scream at me this message that I just wasn't getting. Yeah. What was that message? That and maybe I actually do want to live a little bit. Maybe I don't yeah. actually want to die. But that wasn't actually processing what was happening in my mind as I'm like in this agony and feeling like a failure for not being able to get myself to do it, which is another odd thing that I, it's like I my body's fighting for its life to get me to not do this thing. Yeah. And yet I'm feeling like a failure for not being able to do this thing. Um, our minds are interesting places. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and what actually, uh, what occurred was I had this thought, you know, I'm feeling horrific. And I thought about what those people had said to me. And like they won't even attend my funeral. Yeah. Why? Why am I allowing these people who don't care about me at all to be the anchor that the the little tiny thing that is just too much that breaks that poor camel's back? Right. <laughs> why am I allowing them to do that to me? And. Yeah. Following that thought was, how do I not feel this way anymore? How do I learn how to want to live? And then how do I learn how to want to live joyfully? Like those thoughts. And it was as, it wasn't as if, it was truly, my higher self had been waiting. I got that, that sense, had just been waiting for me to get to this point and ask, ask those questions yeah and for me to finally start listening to my body saying I kind of want to live <laughs> that is so powerful Kristen because when now you know because you you've been through a journey that we can't allow anybody else to determine our worth yeah but there was that light bulb moment that you got it there for a second even though you didn't really know what you had yet is yeah. why am I letting these people determine my worth you know whether I want to live or die and like who gives a fuck about what they think honestly you know what I mean when you stop giving so many fucks you were really super powerful so anyway exactly like I mean they didn't give a fuck what I thought exactly (laughs) why should I care what they're thinking exactly but yeah you know that and that's that's the thing um with a, in the case of a lot of us who've dealt with depression, we care a lot. Yes. 
And the depth of our depression is actually a really big indicator of how much we care. Yes. And it's an indicator of how powerful we are when we choose to accept that our caring is a form of power and a good form of power. Like power isn't a dirty word. It's used in a bad way by a lot of people, but power in the hands of people like you and I, or rather in the hearts of people like you and I, is what our world needs right now. Oh yeah. And that's one of the gifts I was given. So like I'm having this experience where I wish I could remember what my higher self said. I so wish I could remember. And it wasn't just my higher self. It was like my soul was connecting us. And, and at the time, I, I, I really was not listening to my intuition often. Like it was coming to me through my art a little bit, like a yeah. whisper. But this was like, it was like the sun doing a candle and it was so warm and so wonderful and so loving. And what I was left with was the feeling that it's going to be all right. And you are loved. You are love. Wow. That, I mean, that is like, I'm getting goosebumps seriously. And, and, and you're right. We can't hear our higher selves or or our intuition when we're in a depression because somebody explained it to me one time and it just ticked me off because I'm, I'm thinking, no, it's not true. But depression is a place of, of, of selfishness where we're being selfish and, and it it made me mad. But of course, now that I'm on the other side of it, I, I see what their point was, but being selfless is being able to allow that joy into your heart, allow that intuition to flow and to um, do, you know, what your soul is calling you to do and being in that depressive state, you're blocking all of that, you know? Yeah. And I would, I'm, I'm going to bite back about that depression yeah. being selfish. I can see how that is a perception from the outside. And yeah. I can even see how, how some people who have had depression would feel that way. Mm-hmm. But in reality, at least in my experience, my depression has a large part, especially when like, you know, I've had some relapses, which have taught me some wisdom, which has made me a yeah. much better teacher of how to be a spiritual being and live with dragons. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I'm grateful even for the relapses at this point, because I am able to access my inner strength in a way I wasn't before yeah for me one of the big triggers for depression has been actually not being I'm going to say selfish but what I really mean is self-full of honoring the depth of oneself and instead allowing outside people to determine what I should think and what happens to me, which is a pattern that has taken me a lot of work, tons of shadow work. Yeah. And even like light work to, to, to see and understand like the depression hasn't come. It has actually come from a place of overgiving. Mm -hmm. I see that. Yes. um, Rather than a place of selfishness every time, basically even the, the decade long stint of depression. And yes. from not feeling good enough for not being able to be selfless enough. Yes. And that selfless word is interesting 
because like we kind of see it as like an altruistic thing Mm -hmm. but and really like selfless you have no sense of self yeah you're giving everything over Mm -hmm. when what many of us need is a higher sense of self a more in tune innate anchored sense of self yes um so yeah so no and that that makes sense and i think too when we can accept all parts of ourselves that that we can accept even depression can be a part of us you know um because you and i have the ability to um to have it come over our lives we probably now we have the tools to learn how to shift it and to recognize it and to um, get through it quicker but that doesn't mean that there's not something that could put us in that that space even if it's not as deep as it was you know when we were at our bottom or whatever but yeah. you know um but accepting ourselves that it could happen and it's okay and we're still fine anyways you know we're just all parts of us are okay yeah. And, and healing is like, it's a loop de loop, you know, mm-hmm. it's a knot. It, it, it's like a ball of yarn that a kitten has really had a good time with. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's all these knots, there's all these frays. It's, it's not a straight line. No, not at all. So you, you can have relapses, you know, so I, it, healing is hard work. That's why not everybody does it. But it doesn't have to be work you do alone. You know, that's where your work is really important. And that's where my work is really important because we've, as we've healed ourselves, we actually help heal each other as well. And we can ripple that healing out Mm -hmm. into the world. Yeah, for sure. Um, So one of the ways I do that is actually the artworks that came out of this experience. So you remember that? connect with that like how did it all come to be um you know like I I can't make this stuff up no (laughs) so I had that selfie I have ADHD so I'm always running late because I get like I have absolutely no sense of time and at this point I've learned to just love that about myself I am a timeless person (laughs) (laughs) so I was going to this um, art studio at the time and I, I was always like, Oh, I don't have a thing. I'm running late. I need to get there. You know, I really loved being there. There were wonderful people there, but I I would get there and be a little frazzled and I would often forget to have something with me to actually draw. Okay. So, and I love cell phones Uh, for an artist. It's amazing. Like I can keep this collection of images that I've taken and like, you know, like I, I can't use my, my, my um big girl camera anymore but heck i can use my phone constantly to take pictures yeah so i you know i'm looking through and i had kind of been dabbling for like a couple of weeks before like that like meeting my higher self with this idea of doing goddesses okay yeah so like i kind of had a couple and i never really had good reference so I would just kind of use like a rough photo that I had of myself that was like, okay, but not really fabulous, but I, you know, it was, it was good enough to do a drawing based off of, and I would just kind of let it. And like those, those later I recognized what I had actually been doing, 
But this one with this particular selfie was like, I really need to practice drawing a human face. And this is probably the best photo I've taken in a long time of any human. Cause at the point I was mostly just taking pictures of like flowers and horses and cats because mm -hmm. flowers and horses and cats. So I'm looking at this selfie and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to have fun. You know, I'm going to pursue this goddess idea a little bit. And it doesn't have to be me. You know, it's not about like me drawing my own face as a goddess. Yeah. It's not about like glorifying myself. It's just about I happen to be someone I can use as a reference because I'm the nearest guinea pig. Yeah. So I start drawing with no expectations. It does not have to look like me. I give myself permission to just follow my intuition, go wherever I want to go, and just have fun until the end of the drawing session was over. So the drawing session ends, and just like the couple I'd done before, I put it away. And then the next couple of weeks, the same thing happens. You know, I, except those times I ran outside and I took a quick selfie because I figured, oh, I've gotten used to look at my own face and nobody else wants to pose for me, so okay. So, you know, a couple weeks, I ended up with five of them. And uh, enough time had passed. Like, remember, I'm still young in the, like, wanting to learn how to live journey. Yeah. And I'm really having to work through things. And, but, like, my whole life changed in that moment. Like, I wasn't healed, but something was healed, if you get what I mean. Like, mm -hmm. I was healed, but I still had a lot of healing to do. Yeah. So... Yeah. And this going to this art studio was actually a big part of helping me do that. And, you know, it's funny, the little seeds we start planning for ourselves that we don't even know we're planning. Yeah. <laughs> like me just saying, oh, OK, I'm going to go to the art studio. I hate leaving my own home because I'm also very introverted, but I'm going to go do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I a couple weeks later. I just don't feel up to taking any more selfies. I'm like, oh, I had these other drawings. I didn't finish. I should really go back and finish these. I pull out the one that was from the selfie that day of the party. Mm -hmm. And I practically fell over. Because without knowing what I was doing, I had drawn my higher self. Wow. Because you allowed yourself to say, hey... I'm the putty in your hand, whatever you want to be on this paper, be. Yeah. Like I, I let myself step aside and get out of the way. Yeah. So, I love that. Yeah. And it was, um, and I was like, okay, I don't really know what this is, but I'm going to allow myself to follow it. I'm going to choose to follow it. And our choices are interesting. Our choices change our lives. Like that choosing how to want to live and then like how to live joyfully too, mm -hmm. like how to thrive. Yeah. Um, has really defined the course of my life at this point. So with these drawings, the gift they really gave me by the time I was done with them was the ability to see myself with a little bit of distance. Mm -hmm. so that I could see myself from a different perspective. Yeah. One that wasn't overshadowed by all of that ick that had been put on me by other people, by my dragons. Like I wasn't the diabetic. Yeah. I was Kristen who happened to have type one diabetes. Yes. 
I wasn't the, the, uh, the, the, uh, eye injury person or, or life failure, whatever people were, people have been often very open with what they think about me. Um, <laughs> and I was able to say, none of that matters. Right. What actually matters is how I see myself. And because I was able to gain that critical distance, I was able to see myself clearly for the first time in my life and with love. Yes. And to have that for both my shadow sides and my light side, because interestingly enough, our shadows are often the same thing as our light. Yeah. So let me give you an example of that. Cause I, I know a lot of people are like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> so I had been told repeatedly that my emotions were a weakness, right? That my thoughtfulness made me slow, that my love of detail was silly and that my artwork was worthless. And I really saw, oh, and that my, all of my chronic illnesses were my fault. Thank you, Lord. spiritual community. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, I know. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a really dark place in the spiritual community. And I, I just, yeah. I, I really want everyone to know. Oh, yeah. You my, are not my, at fault for having yeah. illnesses. I told my, my knee pain was because I'm not standing in my power. Not yeah. that it couldn't be that I have no cartilage in there. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> so keep going. I'm totally with you. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are reasons we have yes. what we have. Exactly. Yeah. But it's more a perspective of we have what we have so we can learn and grow. Right. And we probably signed up karmically for it. You right. know, as a 10-year-old, I certainly didn't choose to have type 1 diabetes. And as a 3-year-old, I certainly didn't choose to have that eye injury. Right. Unless I'm looking at it from a bigger, wider, yeah. beyond this lifetime perspective. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to make sure that my little self was forced to be an artist, that eye injury was pretty effective. And because of one of the side effects of that eye injury was one of the few things I could do without pain and without hurting myself was paint and draw. Yeah. Like there, there has been nothing more effective. And also to realize, even though it didn't quite sink in until this whole series of higher self portraits, I started to value what I do in a whole new way because of those injuries. And because I was like, I could lose my eyesight at any time. Right okay, what do I want to do with that? Am I going to stop drawing and painting? Or am I going to do it because I love it and it's joyful and I feel most me when I'm doing it? Yes. Um, And all of like the other things, like my artworks are highly detailed. You you look at one of my paintings, I probably, if it has stars in it, there's probably over a hundred stars that I have hand painted on there. Mm-hmm. normally they're not splattered because I, I don't like the texture the splatters put on. So normally I'm hand painting all one of those little stars in. Gotcha. And my, um, a uh, couple of those other things, basically everything that somebody has told me was a bad thing that I took on as a shadow has actually turned out to be something very special and wonderful and unique about me. That and is I'm, awesome. I love that. Yeah, and it's not coming from a place of ego. It's coming right. from a place of clarity. 
I, I can it's a, see they're, that now. They're gifts. They're gifts. You were given these gifts. Yeah. And the ADHD, that hyper-focus, it's what allows me to sit there and paint a hundred stars and go, wow, what a good time. <laughs> yeah. My, my son um, is in a, well, he's 22 now, but when he was in high school, he was an elite um, wrestler because his ADHD was so, so focused. It's, it was his passion and, um, you know, he loved it. And so it can be your superpower. Yeah. And um, then it's like, I, I started realizing the impact this was having on my life and what I do and how I was feeling more alive than ever before. I thought, oh, why don't I do this for other people? <laughs> why don't yeah. I give this gift that I have been given? Everything that had to happen for me to understand the gift I have been given. Let me do that for other people. So I do a couple different types of higher self portraits to help help you see the shadow and the light side and the whole gorgeous picture that is you so how does it work does somebody give you a, a like a selfie of themselves like how you did yours or or um how how does somebody um go about get you know what's the process I guess um when you paint their higher self oh that's a great that's a great question um each one is really unique so the commonalities are your higher self may or may not look like you. Okay. And that was one of the really cool things I have come to understand about my art and doing this for like myself and other people over the years is that our higher selves are expansive. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, when you're like a little kid and you're picturing what everything is going to be like when you grow up, yeah. And then you grow up and you realize that as a kid, you had no idea there were things it's beyond your imagination. Yeah. So our higher selves are like that. They're expansive in these wonderful ways. And there are things that at this time in our lives and possibly in the future, we need to understand or okay. see or recognize. So each higher self portrait is different and like, like I have done five, they show me five different aspects of myself. Okay. And periodically, like I'll go back in and I'll, you know, I'm working on another set right now um, to just help me be me and be out in the world more. So for every person, there's different aspects and what I do. So I can use selfies. Um, I prefer if I'm given a couple of photos. I like to have five or six different photos. You could even give me a dozen different photos um, of you from about six, seven, eight feet away. Gotcha. So that's close enough. I can really see the details that are you, but far enough away that we avoid the camera distortion that can happen with selfies. Mm -hmm. um, and I like this. It's better if there's certain different kinds of light because it just helps me see your features more clearly. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times I will use those photographs as inspiration, but I won't okay. necessarily draw from one gotcha. or I might be drawn to really focus on one. But the end result that I get is something like it's really cool. The more I let go and release any expectations, the more the artwork evolves and okay. I'm guided. Yeah. 
um, like the more structures I try to put on it and the more like it has to look like X. Yeah. It, like the art, like the, the, the energy that I'm working shuts down yeah, when I do that. Yeah, stifling the project, it sounds like. If you're, if it's more of you and less of, um, you know, I don't know, even know how to put a word on that process, but yeah. It's, um, I consider channeling divine love. Oh, gotcha. That's great. Yes. Yeah. So the, the more I allow it to, the artworks to just unfold, mm-hmm. the more higher frequency the more higher resonance the artworks become and the more fulfilling that's a good word the more fulfilling they become and the more helpful as a result they are for the person i'm doing them for um they they carry a lot of healing energy and they're like talismans to help you on your good days really step into yourself and on your bad days to remind you hey this is who you really are. It's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, you're loved. You've got this. And that helps you access a sense of self that is at the root of self-love and resilience and self-empowerment and inner strength. Um, So yeah. And the artworks can take a month, month and a half, two months. Um, to evolve and that's that's really what they do and you know sometimes I'll work on one for a couple weeks and it will need to rest because something energetically is happening which is really really fun um and I didn't actually realize until I was taking um a Reiki classes I have my Reiki like the master level yeah Reiki that the what I've been doing for years in my artwork is very similar but like even more higher powered mm-hmm. um than reiki it's a very it's a very very similar energies but it's it feels different uh more expansive i have a hard time having words for it so that's yeah. why i paint <laughs> right right so you don't have to have the words they they unfold on the canvas it sounds like they do yeah. And they, they carry that healing frequency with them. They, they change your room. Right. I know one of your big messages is for that you want everybody to get into joy. Yes. How does someone get into joy? If they're in that place that you or I were, what are some steps they can take um, to start shifting that into getting into joy? And so just know it's it's a journey, it's a process, right, Kristen? They don't have to do it overnight yeah. either, right? Oh, for sure. And it's for for some people, it seems like it can be overnight, but definitely for me, it it wasn't. So, yeah. or you might um, go two steps forward and one step back, and that you're still going to get there. But yeah, yeah, and it it can feel slow, but at the same time, it's um it's okay. You know, healing happens when it happens. Um, but, and that can be really hard when you're like, but I'm really depressed. Life is awful. And you're telling me it's going to take time and it's hard work. What the fuck? (laughs) Exactly. Yes. That's what we're telling. (laughs) So if you are in that place, or maybe you're actually been having a good time, this works either way. Darkest to dark, having a great time. 
So when it comes to uh, raising, when it comes to healing and raising the vibration of your, of your life and really experiencing joy on a daily basis, mm-hmm. it's, it's not about meditation that that can help. It's not about doing yoga and getting into weird poses, though that can help. Um, It's not about eating all of the vegetables in the world, Uh though that can help. Organic doesn't doesn't get you there? (laughs) Organic, actually, yeah. Um, I've (laughs) been eating organic so long I can taste the the chemicals on everything now. Um, So, yeah, like all of the, the taking care of yourself. All of that stuff helps, but you do not need to exhaust yourself doing that stuff either. And to put a ton of pressure on having to get things always right. So where you actually start accessing joy and connecting with your own higher self, um, it starts in our, so we have, we have us, our human, if you will. And our human includes our body, though our body is like, you know, it's like a, it's like the outside of a watermelon and the inside of a watermelon. The green part's different than the, that pink part, but it's still all a watermelon. It is. Yes. Okay. I gotcha. So your body and your human are like that. And then you have a soul and your soul, like we talked about earlier is a more expansive version of your human that is here to learn and grow and expand. Uh And your body is super important. Like in the process of healing and discovering joy, don't leave your body behind. Even if you have tons of chronic illnesses and all kinds of stuff that are frustrating you, your body is part of your joy. Because your body, like mine did that day on the dock, tells you things like, I want to live. Yes. That's important stuff. And a lot of times when we have chronic illnesses, especially ones that like onset slowly when we get older, it's because our body is actually trying to help us learn something, experience something, or um, trying to get us to make changes that will ultimately improve our lives. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so we, we don't want to leave our body out of this. Taking care of your body is important. And a lot of times when we get very spiritual, we kind of forget that we have bodies. <laughs> yeah. We're focused on the mind and the energy and yeah, all that. Yeah. So your body is really important for bringing in joy. So we have our soul. So it's that more expansive. Our soul connects us to our higher self. And our higher self is this... Uh, you could say our, our soul is like our fingerprint, infinitely complex and unique. Okay. A higher self is like hundreds of thousands of figure, fingerprints of all of the people we have ever been and ever will be. And it is wonderful and loving and incredible. And your higher self is connected to divine source energy. And it's just, it gets more and more expansive the more you go. And we kind of have this, if you will, a narrowing down process from all that is 
to our higher self, to our soul, to our human, and the body that is part of our human, so that we can experience life as joy and we can learn and grow. And it's so much stuff that if we have all of the stuff coming at us at once, we get kind of overwhelmed. It's like being on a 20,000 lane road and you have to turn left and you're in the middle 10,000 plane. Yeah. So things are narrowed down so that we can experience life more fully and be present in the life we are living now. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to joy, it can be hard to follow at first because we're actually trained to not listen to our bodies. We're trained to not listen to our soul and the inspiration that is coming from our soul and, you know, on down. Yeah, because that's like daydreaming. And then they, you know, like kids are like, pay attention, don't be daydreaming, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of just go through life and we turn that part of ourselves off. Yeah, and like, I mean, think about like kindergarten. You know, like if if you hadn't gone to daycare and all of a sudden you're in kindergarten and, and, you know, it's shocking. You have to be somewhere at a certain time. Right. You have to wear clothes, which for a lot of little kids is a challenge. I mean, clothes are uncomfortable. Let's face it, especially if you wear jeans. Oh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, like you have to like, there, there, there are strangers, there are people you don't know. Um, You're told that. It's not okay to just run into the bathroom when you need the bathroom. Yeah. You're told that you can't drink and eat when you want to. Right. And that you have to take a nap at a certain time. And then that you have to eat and drink at other times. You know, like, but, uh, and you know what you have to eat. Yeah. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, like there are these things called letters. If you didn't learn how to read before kindergarten, which I was one of the kids who didn't, I had no idea how to read. And I remember how overwhelming that was. Right. And like, there are all these things that you're trained out of listening to your body, your intuition, and even trained out of questioning because you ask too many questions. It's inconvenient. Right. And questions open up curiosity and curiosity helps us find our joy. So as adults, after having gone through this stuff for years, you might not even know what is joyful for you. Right. So, and and that's part of why we get so depressed. We lose sight of our joy or we're told, like I was with art, the things that gave me joy or my love of like dinosaurs, because it's just science and discovering and putting together this grand detective mystery, that that isn't okay to do. Right. And that it's childish. And like, and when people say childish, they don't mean like childish, fun and joyful and open and curious. They mean childish as in immature, not okay, not worthy, not acceptable. So if you're having a lot of trouble accessing joy, that's, this is a big part of the reason why you might be. You're not allowing yourself to get into like into an intuitive state. Is that what you're meaning? Yeah, and that you're not actually allowing yourself to feel and experience joy or that when you start to get there, guilt overrides. Oh, and you you um you kind of put a barrier up and stop it from fully coming in. Exactly. Like you who feel am guilty, I like, to do oh, this? Oh, I should be going and doing the dishes or yeah, that's what I do like, oh my gosh, I should there's so many things I need to be doing and I I I don't do that as much anymore, but at the more at the beginning of my journey, that's what I felt guilty for relaxing, you know? 
Yeah. And a lot of us do. One thing that helped me a lot was to the, the idea of being, we are not human doings. Yeah. We are human beings. Oh my gosh, Kristen, that is profound. That is awesome. And it's also the root of finding our joy again and letting go of that guilt and all of the things getting between us. Yeah. So in the beginning, you know, especially when you're in the dark places, look for places where you feel free because free is actually a precursor to joy. That's why we value it so much. Yeah. So if you feel more free outside taking a walk, allow yourself to take walks. And then as you get used to the idea that it's okay for you to take a walk, allow yourself to walk different places. And even if that means like as an environmentalist, I'm like, why would I get in a car to go take a walk? Right. Because there's beauty in another spot. But anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's beauty in another spot. And even if I have to waste gas to get there, ultimately I will be able to do more for the planet for being in a more joyful place and being in a state of mind where I can come up with long lasting solutions and then act upon them. So you go for those places where you find freedom. And I know a lot of us are so busy. And sometimes a lot of us have to schedule things. Yeah. Or for me with ADHD, it is really hard for me to schedule stuff. So I actually have to approach things from a state of flow. Yeah. I have to incorporate the flow of enjoying who I am like and what makes me feel free. In, you mean like schedule in your joy? Yeah. Schedule awesome. in your joy. Schedule in your joy time. And and this is this is something that like can be very hard, you know, because it's like, oh, it's for me. I can, you know, substitute it with something else. It's fine. You know, I can put a meeting there. No, treat your freedom time that will become your joy time with like five stars. Nothing interrupts that time ever. Wow. And if for some reason you actually really do have to move it, like somebody's having a surgery or something really major, it gets moved and prioritized to the first available spot. And I'm not talking available like two months from now. I'm talking like if you have to choose between doing laundry and doing something joyful, I understand we all need to do laundry. Even while that run cycle, you know, that wash cycle is washing, you go do something freeing and joyful. You know, like you... You hold on to that and it's not like not, you know, you're not holding on to it with like these gnarly clawed hands. It's more like a holding on to like you are hugging yeah. a cat or a dog or a horse or a kid with like all of the love you have time. in your being. Yeah. Like a sacred, like it's a sacred time. It is sacred time because freedom and joy are sacred. Wow. And that, you know, and it's, it's a spiritual act. And if you have a rebellious streak, and I'm pretty sure we all do because we're human. Yeah. Right. It is better to put your rebellion into creating joy and freedom for yourself than it is fighting against a boss who does not appreciate what you're doing. Right. 
or being irritated at someone who just can't figure out how to wash the dishes. You know, like put that sense channel into, okay, I'm angry about this. We're going to have to talk about this, but I'm going to go take that energy that isn't doing me any good somewhere else. And I'm going to put it into freedom and joy because that actually moves your life to a place where you will experience freedom and joy more and more regularly because you are prioritizing it. Wow. That is amazing, Kristen. I, I, I don't know that how we can even top top that. So why don't we? Why don't you tell us where we can find you? It, um, you know all the places, how they can connect with you to get a portrait or to what or um, you know whatever they want to do or just to reach out and say hi. Um, <laughs> um, yes, and please do, please do reach out to say hi. Um, so I am at Radiance and grit.com. And again, my name is Kristen Gerard. And I call myself a luminary artist because I shine a light on who you are. Everything you find at at Radiance and Grit is all about that. Um, You can sign up for my art and soul letters. And I have some really wonderful um, gifts for your listeners when they do. If you go to um, Radiance and Grit, dot com backslash uh love love okay and i'm gonna post these links um also so that they can click on them but keep going (laughs) (laughs) yeah if you go to that um and you and you sign up for their insole letters you'll get that wonderful gift um for listeners there and what it is is it's seven affirmations on um it's uh close-ups of some of my artwork And with like lots of stars and they're really beautiful. And the affirmations are to help you love yourself and you can use them as wallpapers on your phone or on your computer. And the idea of the seven is that you have a different one for each day of the week so that you can cycle through and they all, they're, they're this wonderful healing loop because healing is a process Yeah, and loving who you are is a process. So it helps you stay on a positive, healthy, loving track. And you don't have to change them every day of the week, but I have found in my healing that when I open up one door, it makes room for me to open up another. And that's what these affirmations do. They help you open up. And as you loop back through each of them, they become more and more helpful, more powerful, more resonant. Right. Um, I love that. Yeah. And then uh, on the social medias, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Radiance and Grits. And then I do have a YouTube channel where awesome. I talk about all this stuff. And if you are on my Art and Soul Letters, you get sent a notice when there's a new YouTube video up and all the blog posts and all that goodness. Because Oh, yeah. Oh, make life easier. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. I've enjoyed this so much um i resonate so much with your story and with you and um i love all the tips for getting into joy and scheduling it in is something that i'm going to become more um more just better at because you know i tend to like push it like you said push something back and like oh this is just some me time i can i can reschedule that and i'm guilty of that and i'm gonna stop it so thank you so much for being here and 
I'm just have a wonderful day. I really, I'm in so much gratitude for all of everything that you had to say. Oh, it was a joy to be here. And thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode, you know, for being part of helping heal the world, you know, by being here. So yeah, all the best to you and yours. All righty. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.